Welcome to Role-Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role-playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 105, Ringworld and Bunnies and Burrows. Right off the top this week, I wanted to send out a huge thank you to everyone who provided feedback the past couple of weeks about our Best Adventures Ever episodes. I heard from folks who loved the shows and others who loved them but didn't necessarily agree with some of the adventures on them. If you're one of those who reached out, you also know I used those communications as an opportunity to get you to give your choices, and we're going to do that episode coming up on the 30th of June. But I need a break from that level of research, so we're going to go back into our game, company, people format for the next few weeks, and this week I've done a bit of deep digging for a couple of subjects I feel are worth your time. So, without further ado, let's crank up the tour bus and get to this week's first topic. Ringworld is a science fiction role-playing game designed by Greg Stafford, John Hewitt, Sherman Kahn, Lynn Willis, Sandy Peterson, Rudy Kraft, Charlie Crank, Ed Gore, and Jeff Okamoto, and published by Chaosium in 1984. It's based on the Ringworld series of novels written by Larry Niven. Niven's known space is the setting of the game, and it's an extrapolation of the amount of hard science Niven had available when he wrote the Ringworld novel. Now, for the record, that novel came out in 1970, though the series has been published for decades, with the most recent book in the series coming out in 2012. Set in the 29th century, Known Space is about 80 light years in diameter with 10,000 stars, which includes human space. That is 40 light years in diameter, containing 524 stars in 357 systems, and 30 billion humans, two-thirds of whom live on Earth. Of course, the humans aren't alone. Among the most important alien civilizations are the puppeteers, who are pacifist herbivore centaurs with a serious case of paranoia, and the kisniti, who are carnivorous, warlike felines. Sounds like most of the house cats I know, but I digress. The puppeteers and the kisniti have fought multiple wars over several hundred years, both against each other and the humans, but the humans won every time. The humans do have allies, and among those are intelligent dolphins and orcas. Look, I realize this all sounds like an acid trip, but trust me, the background for Ringworld is pretty damn cool, and it makes the game different from most of the other sci-fi games out there. It should be noted that Known Space, while exceptionally detailed, is really only intended to be the background. The planet of Ringworld is intended to be where the adventures are set. Ringworld is a huge world, measuring in at 997,000 miles wide. Now, according to my sources, that's about 125 Earth diameters. It's also a ring around a sun, and it's set at about the same orbit that Earth is. The world and the ring are constructs, and the pack protectors are the creators. They're pretty much extinct as the game begins, but they do share a common origin with humans. There are about 30 trillion sentient inhabitants on Ringworld, and they come from about 2,000 hominid species. And if you want to go even more in-depth about the specifics of Ringworld, the novels Ringworld, The Ringworld Engineers, The Ringworld Throne, and Ringworld's Children are available, so check out your local bookshop to grab a copy. 
I realize I don't promote non-game books on the show very often, but these four are definitely worth the read. Now, believe it or not, the role-playing game actually contains more technical information about the setting than the books do. And while some of that is to provide plenty of background information for both players and GMs to use, others have noted that it might have been in the hopes that Larry Niven would include some of it in future books. And I should note that the last two books I named a moment ago were written after the game was released. It's also been noted that there are folks who have no interest in playing the game that have bought it, and they've done so just to read all the background materials. One more background note before we move on. When the series Man Zin was being written, information from this game, along with notes from John Hewitt and Larry Niven, composed the Bible the authors were given to work from. My sources also noted that Niven himself wanted Hewitt to write one of the stories for the first of the MKW books, but Hewitt declined. So with the setting covered, how do our characters fit into all of this? Characters begin as explorers from known space who've been sent to scout out Ringworld. They've got a variety of occupations to choose from. Anthropologist, artist, doctor, police, even zealots. Regardless of what they are, their goal is to explore the mysteries of Ringworld and its inhabitants. In the beginning, characters can be human, puppeteers, or xin. Later, which to me means as the players become more experienced with the system, things like ghouls, vampires, giants, and sea people become available. Now, one thing about the gameplay that's picked up some criticism over the years is that all of the action takes place on Ringworld itself. That has led a number of critics over the years to state that Ringworld is, therefore, not a full sci-fi game. There are no rules for Starship construction. No space combat takes place. You don't or can't travel to other planets or systems. Even with the size of Ringworld and the variety of possible interactions, those who believe it isn't a full or true sci-fi game call being restricted to Ringworld itself limiting. Well, let's get down to the system used for Ringworld. It's built on the chassis of the basic role-playing system, which is also a Chaosium system, and we covered that way back in episode 65, so hit the archives to find out more about how the BRP works. In building a character, it needs to be mentioned that, at least initially, a character is defined by its species or world of origin. That impacts their characteristics, with a provided example being what kind of gravity the character is accustomed to. The players then randomly roll for defects, character age, and characteristics other than those that come from species and world of origin. Since Ringworld uses the basic role-playing system, the characteristics are strength, constitution, mass, intelligence, power, dexterity, appearance, and education. Those then determine secondary attributes like damage modifiers, hit points, and skill rolls. Again, check out the episode on BRP in the archives for more on this. At creation, each player gets a number of points to spend on skills determined by their interests or skill choice, and these points are basically figured by age, education, and intelligence. Each of the three playable races have specific tables for character creation, so there is that little limitation. Character skills are based on percentages, so get your percentile dice ready. And as we know, success on skill checks comes from rolling the skill value or lower on your percentile check. The character build section itself has drawn criticisms over the years, with the age of a character being singled out more often than not. 
See, in Niven's world, the deterioration that comes with age has been pretty much eliminated. So having a character who is 200 years old isn't a rare or unusual thing. And since age figures into the effect of skills, a 200-year-old character will have a ton more skill points than, say, a 20-year-old. And worse yet, in the opinions of the critics, there are no compensatory advantages for the younger character. So let's look at the books that were published for Ringworld, for those of you interested in checking it out. Unfortunately, there were only ever two releases for the system, and they both came out in 1984. The Ringworld box set was the first, and it was chock full of goodies that you'd need to play this new game. The, the set itself was titled Larry Niven's Ringworld Role-Playing Adventure Beneath the Great Arch. The box had four books, a sheet of cardboard minis, reference and character sheets, and a set of dice consisting of 2d20, 1d8, and 2d6. But wait, you're saying, this is a percentile system. Where are the d10s? Well, see, those d20s weren't actually d20s. Each d20 had 0 through 9 on it twice. So they formed a sort of mega percentile dice system for the game. And in truth, I've never seen them used anywhere else. So if you've got a set of those, I'd say you've got yourself a fairly rare collectible. Now, I'm going to do something I don't usually do here and actually give you a few nuggets on each of the four books in the box, just in case you go looking for one. I want to make sure you get everything you're supposed to get. The Explorer book is the Ringworld equivalent of the Player's Handbook. It's got a character sheet on the first page, then gets into an introduction of role-playing games. From there, it moves on to the stuff we'd expect to see. Character creation, skill use, and combat. It also provides a rather detailed history of humanity between the 20th and 29th centuries, providing details on the 11 human worlds in the game. Last up, details on the Kazin and Puppeteers are provided. The Game Master book is next. The early parts of the book are dedicated to technical essays on the ring world, and they mean technical stuff like the physical construction. They also cover life on the ring, and a number of diagrams are provided. It lays out information about the city builders, who are those who built a majority of the ring world, but also had done some space exploration before their empire was eliminated. Another section has a little bit of Q&A in it, with the idea being to answer questions about ring world that your players might have. Suggestions for creating your own scenarios and adventures are provided, as well as technical information about the various humanoid species on Ringworld. There's also an introductory scenario provided. It's called The Journey of the Cat's Eye. The technology book is basically a book dedicated to the gear available in Ringworld. Rules and descriptions are provided, and they're broken down into pretty much every type of equipment and or weapon that would be allowed in the game. The fourth book is The Creature Book. Look, if you've ever played D&D before, this is basically a monster manual, so I don't think further details are needed. So, the other book released for Ringworld was Ringworld Companion. It dropped shortly after the release of the box with the same designers and brought more goodies into the Ringworld game. The very first thing it provided was a full diagram of the Ringworld, which the box set did not have. It then introduced a number of new humanoids, aliens, plants, animals, technological objects, and it fixed errata from the box itself. This also brought the potential of space travel into the game, as information on spaceships and hyperspace were added. A new race was added, a group of desert nomads known as the Agamads. 
just scraping the surface of everything in this book. But I did want to also note that there are two scenarios presented in it. The Sand Eaters, which helps to introduce the Agamads, and the Caladians, which involves the group providing defense for traveling merchants. All right, so we've got background, system, and books. Guess that leaves us with reviews. Phil Masters reviewed the game in November of 1984 for White Dwarf. His overall rating was 6 out of 10, and he noted, quote, This game takes a superb background idea, applies a good system of mechanics to it, and comes back with a disappointing result, end quote. Steve Peterson provided his own review for the November-December 1984 issue of Space Gamer, quote, Niven fans should buy it for the essays and background materials. Role players should be prepared to do some work on scenarios. But if you do, you'll have some terrific role playing in a beautifully detailed world. Science fiction gamers who want to use it for source material probably won't get their money's worth. End quote. Tell you what, let's do one more. Steve Nutt reviewed the game for the December 1984 issue of Imagine Magazine. He said, quote, Altogether, Ringworld's advantages and disadvantages stem from its campaign setting. The actual mechanics of the game are top quality, yet background and atmosphere are what make or break a campaign. And in Ringworld, this aspect could be somewhat daunting to the uninitiated, end quote. So I think it goes without saying, but you know me by now, Ringworld has been out of print for a very long time. So if you're interested in checking it out, unless you've got one hell of a used game shop, you're going to need a version on PDF. So as usual, I'd recommend drivethroughrpg.com to be your starting point. And I really need to get them to sponsor this show. I mean, damn. All right, so let's move away from science fiction and into bunnies. I'm not kidding. Let's get into our second subject for the day, bunnies and burrows. Bunnies and Burrows was designed by B. Dennis Sestere and Scott Robinson and released by Fantasy Games Unlimited in 1976. More than once, Sestere and Robinson have noted that the game was inspired by the 1972 novel Watership Down. Since the original release, Bunnies and Burrows has seen three more releases. A 1982 second edition from Fantasy Games Unlimited, a GURPS supplement from Steve Jackson Games in 1992, and a third edition from Frog God Games with Sister and Robinson as the writers in 2019. Now, Bunnies and Burrows was responsible for a couple of innovations in the game world. It was the first game to have players play non-humanoid characters, and was also the first to provide detailed martial art and skill systems. Now, look, I realize you might be rolling your eyes when I say that, but you really need to take into account when the game was released and what the state of the game world was at the time. 1976 was only two years after D&D essentially created the tabletop role-playing game genre. So for a game to come along and bring innovation to the table isn't as novel a concept as it would be in 2023. I mean, by this point in the game, there aren't a ton of wholly new innovations out there to bring in. But in 76, it was virtually a blank slate. Now, if you're familiar with Watership Down, then some of what I'm about to go over won't be new news. But for those who aren't, let's drop the first bit of knowledge on you here. In Bunnies and Burrows, the characters are rabbits. Here's another bit of knowledge. Role-playing is emphasized more heavily than combat. Stefan O'Sullivan said it best in his 1998 article for SOS Game Views. Quote, you're playing a rabbit after all. How much combat do you want to do? End quote. 
David M. Ewalt went a step further in his 2013 book of Dyson Men, the story of Dungeons and Dragons and the people who play it. Quote, Bunnies and Burrows pushed setting even farther than games that came before it, such as Dungeons and Dragons and Unguard. The player characters were intelligent rabbits and had to compete for food, avoid predators, and deal with internal Warren politics, end quote. Needless to say, the game was a success, so much so that B. Dennis Sestar wrote a piece for Different Worlds, which was a Chaosium magazine, titled Different Worlds Present the World of Druid's Valley, a Bunnies and Burrows campaign. It detailed how one could combine the world of Bunnies and Burrows with other fantasy worlds. For those interested in reading that, it was the June-July 1979 issue, and you are really going to have to do some digging online to find it. Later in the year, Daniel J. Maxfield wrote up a mini-adventure, The Jackrabbit's Lair, and published it in Pegasus, which was the magazine published by Judges Guild. Now, I mentioned the second edition of B&B in 1982, but it's been noted in more than one of my sources that while this edition also sold well, the first edition has seemed to be the longer-lasting of the two. And I can tell you with near 100% certainty that first edition B&B is still being played around the world to this day. The third edition of Bunnies and Burrows was made possible due to an exceptionally successful Kickstarter. And if you're looking for a physical game copy to use, this is going to be the one you'll find. And you can get it from the Frog God Games website, froggodgames.com. Frog God Games being all one word. In addition to the three editions and the GURPS conversion, B&B got an unofficial conversion for the Boyd Mayberry written game, Rysis, the Anything RPG. B&B was brought in in 2004 under the game's rules for free fan supplements and articles. Bunnies and Burrows have certainly had an interesting history, but you know me, how does it play? Well, let's start with Stefan O'Sullivan's own words. Quote, The original game was very innovative for its time. Not only could you play non-humanoids for the first time, but it was the first role-playing game to have detailed martial arts rules, the first attempt at a skill system, and the first RPG to appeal as widely to women as to men. End quote. The rabbits of our game interact with other animal species as part of a normal gameplay. Humans, on the other hand, are the monsters. In fact, they're the only monsters in the game. Their thought processes and motivations are considered to be alien to our fuzzy little friends. The game also has the advantage of offering players an intuitive grasp on relative dangers and appropriate actions that wouldn't be possible in traditional game settings. Think of it like this. The bunnies have a run-in with a bear. They would immediately just know that the bear can be dangerous to them, and they would know that the smartest decision would be to run away. No roles needed for that. And since the characters are going to be weaker than pretty much anything they face, outwitting opponents is the favored move. Solving puzzles and thinking out situations is also encouraged. Again, they're rabbits. How much fighting can there really be? Considering how early in the game process B&B came out, it should be no surprise that the game system was custom created for it. There are eight abilities and eight classes available, and while I'd love to tell you what they are, I wasn't able to find them listed in my various sources. What I can tell you is that task resolution is percentile base, so here's another one where you'll need those percentile dice. For the record, at its release, Bunnies and Burrows was considered by a number of critics to be light years ahead of the original release of Dungeons and Dragons. So let's drop a review in here. 
Steve Jackson covered the game for the February-March 1977 issue of The Space Gamer. He said, quote, B&B is probably worth the retail price, at least to a fantasy role-playing fan. The writing style is intelligent, lucid, and occasionally witty. The rules are workable. The art, as I think I pointed out, is so bad it's great, and the whole idea is appealing, end quote. Now, I do need to note that other writers I researched mentioned the absurdity and silliness of playing rabbits, and they weren't saying those in a kind way. But the popularity of B&B over the years has acted as a giant middle finger to them, so I think they got their answers. While you can get the third edition of the game in a softcover version, the original has been out of print for several decades at this point. However, I did find it for sale at drivethroughrpg.com, so if you're interested, head over there for your PDF. And with that, we've come to the end of today's tour. Next week, we'll dive into the games Arduin and Corporation. Now, before I get into our usual show rep stuff, I had a couple of notes I wanted to get out there. First off, you've still got time to get your choices in for the best module adventure of all time. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to do that episode on June 30th. Hit me up on the socials or email to let me know what you would like to see make the list. For the record, this is shaping up to be a heavy D&D list, primarily original first and second edition. But hey, I'm perfectly okay with that if you are. And I know I don't usually get into new releases on this show, but several of our listeners have emailed me over the past week or so to ask me about Candela Obscure, which is the new game from the folks at Darrington Press that is also being live played by the cast of Critical Role. Look, I don't have a problem with diving into new games. The only issue I think I'm going to have is digging up enough information for a show. That being said, if you've got a new game or a system that's out there that you'd like to hear me break down, again, hit me up on the socials or by email and let me know what they are. After all, I don't claim to know about every release out there. All right, so those are the notes. Let's wrap this puppy up. As always, I encourage you to check out our other fine podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This week, we're continuing the build for our group to try to figure out who's got it out for their boss, and they're getting another step closer to finding out. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash badgmprod. On Twitter, badgmp. YouTube and Tumblr, Bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, it's badgmproductions.net. Next week, it's Arduin and Corporation. That's next week, though. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're role-playing history. <laughs>